I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, what I'm going to talk about is going to be a little different. We will start out talking about dreams and goals and ambitions that many of you may have <clears throat> that sometimes go unfulfilled. Like there may be some of you who have actually had a goal or a dream of being on uh, American Idol and that has not been fulfilled. Some of you have had uh, a dream, a goal, at least to play in the Super Bowl one day. And some of you have the goal and dream of just showing up to church on time. I'm going to share with you a secret dream and, and goal I've had that has gone unfulfilled. I've always dreamed about being invited back to my seminary, Dallas Seminary, to speak in chapel to upcoming seminary students. But over 20 years, they have never invited me. They send me letters in the mail requesting money, but they've never invited me to come speak. Okay. Later in life, I went to Trinity, and that's our denominational school. We're part of the Evangelical Free Church in America, and I think surely they would invite me to come and speak to seminary students. But no, they have never invited me, and if they invite me now, it will just be a pity invite. So I look for an outlet, and I just want to tell you that the most exciting time of my week is I, got to, I get to meet with five guys on Friday morning for 20 minutes, and I get to speak into the lives of these, these young men who are going to be pastors. And can you guys just stand up if you're here, like who you are? Come on, stand up. Don't, come on. Ryan, get up. You're one too. So, uh, so it's Gianluca, Ryan, Matt, and Sam, and also Sam Griffith. And I, these guys put up with me, and um, it, it's a great time to get together, talk about the ministry, and talk about what, what life is like being a pastor. And it's an exciting time for me. But this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to branch out, and I'm going to take um, two decades of being overlooked on the conference circuit, <laughs> and I'm going to let it kind of just explode all over you, so you can, you can bear with me. Because what I want to do, I want to take a portion of Colossians, which is about Paul's ministry to the church, and I want to preach it as if I'm speaking to future ministry leaders, not just pastors, but also those of you who, who may one day be a, a youth minister or children's or a missionary or women's or men's. I want to even speak to the ethos leaders here or, or for those of you who are elders or might be elders one day or are you are deacons or might be deacons one day. And if you don't fall into any of those categories, hopefully this text will give you insight into biblical leadership and what's the motivation behind decisions and practices and what drives ministry leaders. And what we're going to do, we're going to jump into Colossians. So go ahead and turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24 all the way to chapter 2 verse 5. So let's, let's go ahead and stand as I read the text to you. Starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great I struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's set the context a bit. And remember that Paul is addressing a healthy church here in Colossae who is bearing fruit and growing in maturity in Christ. But there are some threats, right? Trying to infiltrate the church through false teaching. It's a movement from the gospel to some type of higher plane. It's the gospel plus something else. Paul combats this teaching by pointing to the conquering Christ, that you can have life in the conquering Christ, that Jesus is not only supreme, but he is sufficient. He is sufficient to save you, to forgive you, to give you grace. He is sufficient to comfort you. He is sufficient to hear your prayers, to care for you, and to give you hope. That's where we've been going so far. And last time we were here two weeks ago, Paul ended this section talking about his ministry to the Colossians. And now he goes into a lot of details of his ministry. And there's a lot of ways this could be organized. But I thought the best way to do is to to look to another great pastor and mentor who has pastored and mentored many um, uh, future leaders. His name is Ken Hughes. And here's a great structure he gives through this passage. Let me share it with you. What follows is Paul's ministerial attitude, his ministerial charge, ministerial purpose, and ministerial energy. That's, that's where we're going to be going this morning as we, we look at these different aspects of what his ministry was all about. So look at verse 24. Verse 24 in chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul's pastoral attitude is stated clearly in the context of persecutions and the burden of false teachers and the daily struggles of the church. And he says, I rejoice 
in my sufferings. Who talks like that? I rejoice in my sufferings. Has anybody ever said that before? For him, it's, it's that he sees the bigger picture of not just this noble cause, but for the sake of the ultimate God-glorifying mission in the church. And, there, and there's a lot of different aspects in your ministry to other people where you could rejoice in your, your sufferings. For those of you who are on campus and you share the gospel in your dorms and, and, you, and you get pushback, and you get discouraged, and you, get, you think, oh, no, this is terrible. You know what? You get to a point where you go, okay, something bigger is going on here in sharing the gospel. I can rejoice that I get to take part in God's kingdom message. But check this out. Paul seems to, to go even further. Can you look at verse 24 again? He says, in my flesh... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. What? Paul's suffering for the Colossians and the church at large is referred to as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that Christ and his suffering on the cross was insufficient to make atonement for sinners. No, 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 no. Christ conquered sin on the cross, turned away the wrath of God, crushed Satan as well as sin and death. So there's no lacking in Christ's sacrifice. I think what Paul is getting at here is that his suffering and the suffering of others in the gospel ministry will continue to carry forward God's glorifying mission in the church. It is in and through his sufferings that the mission of the church keeps going. And this is a part of his initial call. Jesus said about Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. (laughs) How about that for a call? Come follow me. And I want to show you how much you are going to suffer for my name. So the question is, how does Paul's suffering benefit the church? Well, in the context of suffering, Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. In other words, Paul's suffering is for the benefit of the church. As he suffers, he's comforted by Jesus, and he comforts others. As he he suffers by by fending off false teachers, and he's being afflicted, that is for the benefit of the church. As he's sharing the gospel and gets pushback, it gets, gets beaten, that is a vehicle that God is using to carry along the gospel message to the world. I told you I meet with these, these five guys on Friday for about 20 minutes, and more than anything else, what I try to stress with them over and over again, the stories that we tell and the scenarios we talk about, is that there is a privilege in being a minister of the gospel, but there's also this accompanying suffering that goes along with such privilege. And one of the guys, Sam Van Skoy, uh, he 
often leaves his, my office each Friday shaking his head by saying that he's both encouraged and sobered. And you see, one of the, the biggest challenges that you may face for those of you who uh, maybe are going to go into the ministry or you have a new leadership role, maybe as an ethos community leader or as a staff member at a church, one, one of the, the, the realities that will really shock you uh, as you're new to the ministry, it shocked me, is, is the problems that you will encounter and the pushback you will face and even the spiritual attacks you will feel. And if you think, oh, the ministry is going to be easy, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, there, there is some serious attacks that happen. And the key is, there can still be joy. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. <laughs> How do you see that? I want to say that. But if you can view what is going on properly, you can see, okay, if I'm suffering as a minister of the gospel, I'm not just trying to set an example for you to follow in your suffering. What I'm trying to do, and I think what you should try to do as well for those of you who are leaders, is realize that when you're suffering, you are going to Christ, and you are seeing that he is sufficient for you, and then you're ministering in the sufficiency of Christ to others. You see how that works? And so you can have this rejoicing in your sufferings because in your suffering, you're actually becoming a better minister to others because you're actually living what you're teaching. If someone is suffering and you've never gone through anything, you've never felt the comfort of Christ, then what, what, what do you got to offer? So we have this attitude, and the attitude is one of joyfulness in suffering. Well, let's move on here to verse 25. Now we have this ministerial charge. Verse 25. Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, Paul's a minister of the gospel according to God's plan, calling, and stewardship for him to make the word of God fully known. Basically, this means that God called Paul commissioned Paul to proclaim the word of God in fullness to the church, including the Colossians. But look at the specifics of Paul's calling and proclamation in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery referred to here is God's salvation plan centered on Jesus. Now, it's not that it wasn't prophesied in the Old Testament, but it says here it was hidden for ages and generations so that it might be revealed in fullness centered on Jesus Christ for the nations, including Jews and Gentiles. Look again at verse 27. Specifically, the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reality for the believer is being in Christ and Christ in you, which speaks to your core identity, assuring eternal life. And this is to, to fuel this hope of glory, showing that you need no other additions, but Christ alone is supreme and sufficient. That's the content of Paul's calling and charge to preach the gospel. God called him to preach Christ, not some made-up message, 
but the call is to proclaim the good news of God found in Jesus. Now, for those of you in here who are maybe wondering, you should be a pastor one day, right? Or maybe God has called you to the ministry. There is this debate that happens with pastors, future pastors, is does God actually call people to the ministry? And what does that even look like? And did you have an experience with a call? Something happened where you had an eternal confirmation. And I would say, okay, I have a story. I was saved at 19, praise Jesus. And at 20, I felt called to be a pastor. Here's the deal. I was spending the summer in Little Rock, Arkansas, as an interim youth pastor at this church. And I was getting ready for the fall semester. And I was studying uh, accounting, intermediate accounting, getting ready for the fall semester because that was my major. And I am studying it, digging into accounting was really exciting. And I'm studying it, and I felt at that moment, God tell me, I didn't hear anything, but I felt he tell me that I would no longer be doing that, that I was going to preach the word. So I closed the accounting book. I went back to school, changed my major from accounting to the easiest major ever, communications. I'm not slamming you, just communications. <laughs> and, and then I headed off to seminary. And, and I would say that was my experience of feeling called by God to preach the word. Now, part of this debate, as I was telling you about, some would say, oh, no, it's not about calling. It's not about an experience. It's about gifting. And it's about character. And it's about your qualifications. Now, I'm not quite sure what I think about the whole calling thing. Some guys really press it that you can't be in the ministry unless you're called. But I would say that no matter what, calling or no calling, you have to have the character and even the gifting, and even the qualifications to be in the ministry. And many of you are in undergraduate college right now. Many of you are grad students, and you're wondering, you maybe have wondered, huh, I wonder if I should go into the ministry full-time, whether it's being a, a Christian counselor or youth ministry or missionary. You're kind of wondering, should, should I do that? Should I be a part of a church and serve? Well, let me tell you. For those of you who are college students or graduate students, we have this cool thing we do at our church for for you. It's like this brief little internship program that lasts for about eight weeks. You come hang out at the office. It's really exciting on Fridays for a few hours. We give you free lunch, and we talk to you about churchy stuff, (laughs) what we do. And even if you don't ever want to go in the ministry and you're just curious about churchy stuff, come hang out with us. It will start this April, and in a few weeks, we'll do it again. And we've had students go through it in the past. We've had Erin Donahoe go through it a couple times. She's down there serving in in nursery right now. We've had uh, Danny Russell. Danny Russell did it as an undergrad student at Northwestern, and then he went off to be a missionary, and now he's back, and he's our church planning resident. And a lot of the conversations that started when he was an undergrad has come to fruition even now. So if you're wondering, thinking about, okay, what is church stuff about? Undergrad, grad, come hang out with us on Friday. Start in April. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of time, and you get to see, oh, what is this all about? 
All right, let's keep going. Let's move to ministerial purpose. Ministerial purpose. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The purpose here is to present everyone mature in Christ. The idea is to see people grow in Christ, to mature as much as possible on this earth. Uh, this is to be the aim of spiritual leaders, to see others grow in their relationship with Jesus and long for the day of his coming. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Thessalonians two nineteen and 20. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So in order to achieve that purpose of posting in glory, is, is to notice the means laid out here. First, keep looking at the verse, verse 28. First, him we proclaim. Second, warning everyone. And third, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Basically, Paul proclaims the gospel, centered on Jesus, warns those who are straying, and instructs every person in the wisdom of the word of God. It's a simple purpose centered on Christ, teaching them the word of God. Paul doesn't have to create a message or come up with new ideas, but simply give them the word of God and warn them from straying. There's this pastor who once said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. So preachers, future preachers, teachers, campus leaders, ethos leaders, those of you who work with children. You don't have to be trendy. <laughs> you don't have to be cool. You don't have to be culturally relevant. Just stick to the word and give them Jesus. I'm not saying you don't prepare or things like that, but give them Christ. Make that your purpose in leading and training others. Give them Christ. And now we see his ministerial energy. All right, let's go. This is his last one, ministerial energy. Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Now here's the imagery of fighting and toiling and, and contending and praying and preaching and teaching and evangelism and refuting false teachers and rebuking others. Paul, is, he's struggling and he's striving but that doesn't mean it's in his own energy. Human effort doesn't mean that God is absent, nor does God's power exclude human effort. I'm going to say it again. Human effort doesn't mean that God is absent, nor does God's power exclude human effort. Paul worked hard, but he recognized that this is God's energy through him. For those of you who may go into the ministry one day, maybe you'll be a pastor, it will be the easiest job in the world because you just work one hour a week. If you see me work at other times, this is all when you see me, one hour a week. And I know that's not true. Obviously, you know it's not true. But even in the ministry, you can become lazy and it can become professionalized. I mean, just think about the common occurrence in your job. 
It's not unique to ministers in your job. We, we all have this struggle. You face your job to become placent and simply start getting the job done instead of growing and sharpening. Well, pastors can feel the same temptation and they can become slackers. Oh, you want a sermon? I'll just whip something up. Oh, you need a hospital visit? Well, I'll take a break from surfing the internet and eating potato chips and come visit you. Oh, you want some leadership? Oh, I'm going to go to this conference and I'm going to cut and paste what I learned back at this church. You see, we can become complacent, we can become lazy, and the danger over the years is to coast. But not Paul. (laughs) We see him here toiling and struggling for the congregation. He struggles in the word, in prayer, and he's training the leaders, and he's got this multiplication thing going on. And this is what you want. As a leader, you want to work hard in your own spiritual growth so that that can spill over and working hard for the growth of others. So there you have it. We have this ministerial energy. Work hard through the power of God. Now, so far in the text, we've seen Paul speak about the broader church. But as we quickly run through chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see his ministry specifically to the Colossians. And I'm going to do something with you here. I'm going to put these up, the four we've gone over so far. And I want you to, as we read verses 1 through 5, to mix and match and to see where he's specifically applying these to the Colossians and to the other believers. So I'm going to leave them up to the end and we'll do a little mix and match here and see if you can see it in the text. So let's go chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. I'm not going to do any testing or anything, but you can clearly see that right there, it's, it's ministerial energy. He's struggling for the church at Coloss and also at Laodicea and other churches he has yet to meet. Well, look at verses 2 and 3. He says, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full insurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, here's this language again of fullness which points in the direction of his ministerial purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ. He wants them encouraged in their hearts and unified as they grow in their relationship with Christ. And again, we also see that his his ministerial charge here is proclaiming Christ. This is the key verse in all of Colossians. It says, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be found. It's such the high point. Christ is all. He's everything. In Christ is salvation, forgiveness, mercy, love. In Christ is everything. So this charge is to keep proclaiming Christ. But some won't want to hear. And we'll get off subject. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Uh, This warning is part of his ministerial purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ along with the suffering of dealing with false teachers. He's basically saying, don't be led astray by these smooth talkers or slick presentations or false doctrines prettied up, for Christ is the point. Do you know one of the the main purposes, (laughs) if you read the New Testament, one of the main purposes of pastors and leaders and elders is to protect the church from false teaching and false doctrine. This Tuesday, in about two days from now, we are going to have uh, some potential elders gathering to talk about what does it mean and what does it look like to be an elder here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. 
Now, when you think about elders and you think about being a board, a board of elders, I don't know what image comes to your mind. You just think a bunch of, a bunch of business guys sitting around or people acting high and mighty and voting yes and no on certain things. No. no. One of the main functions of an elder is to know the word, shepherd the church, and protect against false teaching. It really is. That's one of the aspects of eldering. And so we want to bring men on who know the word, shepherd the flock, and can refute false doctrine and teaching. That's a huge aspect of the work of being in the ministry. And of course, that's not always fun, and that could be difficult, and that's why Paul ends on a note of joy. Right where we start at, verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And that's where we start it, with this ministerial attitude of rejoicing, even in suffering, as he is striving and loving and shepherding and refuting the false teachers within this, this church. Now, the way I want to close here is I want to do something that is totally not cool anymore, okay? Let me explain. I'm going to do something that's just, just you don't do it anymore. It's not cool. It's so old school, but I'm going to do it anyway. Back in the day, churches, I'm telling, maybe you grew up in these churches, they used to over-elevate the calling to the ministry. Is the, have you ever heard this before? To be a pastor is the highest calling of all. You heard that? Have you ever heard this? If you can do anything else besides be a pastor, then do it. Because being in the ministry is the highest calling of all. The rest of you are losers because you're not in the ministry. Because this is the highest calling of all. Okay? Now, I think what we've done now is we've swung the other direction. We're trying to go away from that. We're like, now we're at a point where we're, we're like, uh, I'm not sure God calls anybody to the ministry ever. And you go to the seminaries and the enrollment's down, it's dipping. It's like, oh, I guess God doesn't call people anymore. <laughs> so we went from this is the highest calling of all to where are all the pastors at for the next generation? So what I want to do here this morning, I want to do an altar call of sorts without having you come forward. There's not enough room up here. But if you sense a calling from God or, listen, even a desire to be in the ministry, or, or how about this, or if you're just even wondering, you've asked the question, then in a moment, not yet, I want you to stand, Okay? This includes, if you're just wondering, you know, maybe I should go to the mission field. Or maybe God wants me to work full-time with children in a church, maybe the youth, maybe a pastor. Maybe you want to teach in a, in a seminary or, or Bible college or even a Christian school. You're wondering, maybe, maybe there's something in me that God is stirring up, and I'm wondering if I should do it, if I shouldn't do it. I'm wondering what I should do next. I'm just wondering. And maybe you will, won't do any of that. But if you are here this morning and you fit any into the category that may include this vocational ministry and you're kind of wondering if you should explore it anymore or what God's doing in you, will you go ahead and stand up, please? Come on, come on.
Come on, stand up. And what I want to do for you is I want to pray these things for you as you're in the process of wondering, thinking, uh, discerning what God may have of you or want you to do or not do. And you may be early in the process, maybe late in the process. But the healthy thing is you're part of a church. And the church can help you discern what's, what, what, what your gifting is and what you may or may not do or shouldn't do. But right now, let's all pray for you, okay? So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, you are the one who calls people to serve your people. And you've done it throughout time. And sometimes it's miraculous and it's supernatural. And sometimes it's what many call the still small voice. Other times it's the affirmation of others. Seeing a gifting in us to be a a counselor or seeing a gifting in us to be uh, a missionary or a preacher or, or work with children or women or men is something that others have affirmed. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are standing right now that are wondering, okay, what's, what should they do with this? Or what's the next step? And I just ask that you would infiltrate them with joy, even in suffering. I just ask that you would center them on your words as they proclaim it to others. They themselves are being fed. And Lord, I just ask you to empower them as they teach and train others, or even as they have the desire to do that, they would have the goal of, of presenting people mature in Christ. And as they are filled with a lot of energy right now and excitement, I just ask that you would give them that resilience and grit to work hard even when it gets very, very difficult. But Lord, with these men and women who are standing now, you, you have a plan for their life. And we don't see what's next this afternoon or tomorrow. But there is something stirred up in these that are standing. And I just ask you to give them wisdom and vision and joy in following you now. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.